Yes, we are. Let's take okay. it. Okay. Hey, everybody. It's Harvey Sluggo Wasserman back for the 94th session of the Grassroots Emergency Election Protection uh, Coalition Zoom. Now, the Green uh, Grassroots Election Protection Coalition, or the Green Green, we are streaming live on YouTube and we are recording for our when Thursday session, 5 p.m. Uh, Eastern time of the on the Progressive Radio Network at prn.li. Uh, uh, prn.live. Again, it's Harvey Slogo Wasserman. Uh, we have 37 people on the call, and we are, of course, going to be really deep into the uh, Supreme Court uh, decision on Roe v. Wade, not only about the substance of it, but also about its impact on the 2022 election. It seems to me if there's anything that could impact uh, a, a midterm election. This would be it. We are um, going to go the full first hour here uh, on uh, on on uh, Roe v. Wade and its electoral impact. Uh, we are also going to talk. Uh, I do want to get in a little bit of discussion about the Pacifica Radio Network and uh, the apparent attempt to cancel an upcoming election. Myla Reason uh, is with us on that, and this is a really important um, uh, a dynamic in terms of progressive politics in this country. At the top of the hour, we're going to be visited by a climate scientist, Dr. Carolyn Orr, who's going to talk about the impacts uh, of global warming. We're also going to talk uh, then about a petition to set the Diablo Canyon nuclear plant, or at least to keep it from continuing to open uh, or operate. Uh, that's why I've got the Golden Gate Bridge in the background. For those of you can, who can see and who are used to my beach scene, we've gone to the to the Golden Gate, to the to uh, California uh, for that, and we will also be talking about the ongoing insanity of Ohio in Ohio, and uh, it just <laughs> the, the, the on gerrymandering, the hits just never stop coming. So uh, we got a full uh, uh, hour and a half to two hours uh, on on with us, but of course I don't remember actually uh, a more monumental moment in the history. Of, of the Supreme Court uh, in terms of electoral politics. Uh, uh, 1954, Brown versus Board of Education, of course, uh, was uh, as about as big as they've come. But, um, you know, uh, uh, that was before I was, what, uh, nine years old. Many of you uh, were not yet born. Um, uh, we, we have the original Roe v. Wade in 1973. But uh, that was in the midst of a string of progressive, uh, sort towards the end of the spring, of progressive decisions that were uh, in favor of human rights and human liberties and basic sanity in this country. I do not, in my lifetime, remember a more devastating assault on the core of human rights than this one. And I think people have picked up pretty quick on the reality that this is not just an, a, an abortion decision. This is a real hardcore assault on personal liberty, personal freedom, and, and human rights in this country. I mean, the, the, the Alito decision is quite sweeping, and there is no reason to doubt that it will be followed by attacks on gay rights. You remember. Uh, up until um, 
I don't remember the year, uh, less than 30 years ago, it was um, uh, um, legal, considered constitutional for a state to arrest people for being gay. I mean, this you know, the Supreme Court decision about that did not come out of a case from the South. It came out of a case from Connecticut, for God's sakes, where it was illegal to be gay. And two guys were arrested in a motel room into which police broke. Now, there is absolutely no reason to believe that in the wake of this decision that that couldn't happen again, that states could, in fact, start to ban um, um, homosexuality as gay marriage, which is a very recent decision, and others. I wanted to, uh, uh, Mimi Kennedy, if you were on the line, if you are on the have arrived, you, you were going to speak with us. As I say, we had announced um, that uh, Christian Nunez would be with us. She's postponed a week uh, from the uh, uh, National Organization of Women. She will be, for women, she will be with us next week. Uh, but Mimi Kennedy has said that she will come on and I'm waiting to see if she wants us to talk. I do wanna go through this again. Um, uh, this decision uh, by Alito does not merely speak to abortion. It speaks to, it speaks to um, a contraception. If this, if this decision goes through, there is no reason why a state could not ban contraception. As basic as we see it, as it's being interpreted already, um, it does allow a state to ban the abortion pill, which is a huge chunk of big pharma. There is also, I mean, it's a virtual certainty to me that, and I'm sure to many of you, that this decision will allow this court to allow states to ban gay marriage. I don't see any reason, and we have Joel Siegel with us, who is a constitutional lawyer, and uh, Mike Hirsch as well. Uh, some of you others may be lawyers. Feel free to admit, by the way, that you are a lawyer. Uh, uh, it's, you don't have to keep it secret. I am married to one. But um, um, so this, this is a huge, uh, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not telling any of you anything you don't know, but this is a huge gateway to a full, frontal assault on a wide range of personal liberties. And it's not going to stop, uh, as I think we all know, it's not going to stop with abortion. Abortion is the gateway here, not the end of be all and end all. So um, with that, I want to turn it over. Uh, 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 if Mimi is on the call, I'm not sure she was actually able to make it. And those of you, again, expecting uh, um, uh, 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 Christian Nunez, she will definitely, she had to uh, pull out at the last moment, she will definitely be with us next week. So uh, the, the purpose of this discussion, and we have the full hour here, is to assess A, what we're looking at in the law, which is apocalyptic, basically, it cannot be overstated, and B, uh, what the impacts will be, what we expect the impacts will be, on the upcoming midterm elections and on general uh, the general political scene uh, in the United States. And I wanna point out, by the way, a horribly depressing uh, report, which is that Ferdinand Marcos Jr. 
the son of the horrendous dictator who made such a nightmare of life in the Philippines is about to be elected president of the Philippines. And he is an outright murderous fascist. His co-running mate was the daughter, I believe, the daughter of the wife, I believe the daughter of the current dictator of the Philippines, um, Duterte, Omimi is with us, who has been murdering people left and right uh, with no constitutional restraint whatsoever. So I'm sorry to announce that, but it's very much in keeping with what we are seeing with this uh, decision um, uh, uh, from uh, Alito and upcoming from the court. Again, I want, I'm gonna introduce Mimi Kennedy. Uh, I do wanna again thank and vote for a medal, whoever leaked this thing, because uh, it is a absolutely essential that we have now found out about it. So whoever leaked this, thank you very much. You deserve a medal. Uh, Mimi Kennedy, I know you're with us for a short period of time. We yeah. want to give you the opening remarks. So please uh, uh, tell us um, what your feelings are about this. We're going to go the, the full hour. Okay. Thank you, Harvey. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, this is something that the right wing has been organizing around for uh, probably 30 years or, or longer. And uh, it has always sullied, not even sullied, it's destroyed our politics. As a woman and as a Catholic, somebody raised Catholic, I have always been very aware, especially as the Supreme Court um, was packed with, with Catholic justices who had been um, commandeered by the right wing on this issue alone. Uh, you often hear Catholics, liberal Catholics, talk about a seamless garment. They're against the death penalty, but then they'll say they're also pro-life. So this has been an organizing principle and women that I know, that I went to school with, that are my neighbors, they're always voting Republican because of this issue. Now, what does it really mean? All along, I've seen the hypocrisy in it. Uh, for instance, do you baptize a fetus who's a person so that the fetus will go to heaven when it dies instead of be in limbo? How do you get in there and baptize the fetus separate from the mother? Well, according to this religious reasoning, you would need to do that or you can sign a child to limbo. There are people who would laugh at me because I'm invoking a very old school version of theology. Nonetheless, it's the very old school version that is driving this overturn of Roe v. Wade. Um, to talk about bodies and to talk about what God intends, I've always thought, well, why do we give heart transplants? Why are men walking around with pacemakers and women? Why do people interfere at all when we get lethal diseases that obviously means God intends to take our lives at that time and bring us home to heaven? There is no logic to this other than to constrain women with male superiority, and it's a very Christian white male supremacist version of the family. So Roe v. Wade was a Solomonic decision saying, okay, if the baby is viable outside the womb, then maybe there is some reason to preserve the life of a being that otherwise you know, could live outside the mother. It was Solomonic, that's what Roe v. Wade is. That's what they're overturning. Why would they overturn that? Because they think the baby is a person from conception. That is a religious belief. 
And it means that women and our bodies are property of the state. And the state has an interest in the life that is in the womb. And they can't get to that life to preserve it without basically enslaving the woman as a, as a reproducer. I have two things to say further. Um, the irony is that this reproductive hysteria is arriving at a time when, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm reading scientific books about it, sperm counts are down. We can see gender as a spectrum and that's happening biologically too, so that people don't exactly have everything we need to reproduce the way that we always have. Okay, that's happening. So why? Well, we have chemicals that interfere with certain things and we're changing. Nobody's looking at that. Why aren't you looking at that? No, let's just turn women into you know reproductive machines. And the last thing I'll say, and this is how politically we have to address this. Catholics are gonna move away from this absolutist position, even conservative Catholics, but they're, because they realize the folly in a democracy of another Catholic uh, theological position, which is um, the spiritual acts of mercy. You must admonish the sinner. So in a democracy, if you allow a sin to happen as bad as murder and you don't vote to overturn it, then you're gonna go to hell too. In other words, that person's sin becomes your sin. That is a deep belief of Catholics and basically of all religious evangelical people because we get in each other's business trying to save a soul. All of that is changing and it's gonna change around this reversal, understanding that somebody's body is their own, somebody's soul is their own. We are community and we are connected, but you cannot police reproduction. Enforced motherhood is a sin against the body of the mother and the soul of the child. We're gonna be learning that human development is taking care of the children who come and the souls in those children who come, I will say that theologically, I believe it. You cannot destroy those souls by forcing them, uh, the, the mothers who bear them to come into the world without being wanted and without having any basic needs met, which we see the Republicans refuse to do. That's what I have to say about it. But remember that to me, to confront this politically in November, is not to go, oh, you're wrong. And so it's just, you're not responsible for what a mother is deciding to do with a conceived, a conceived fetus. You, you can't be responsible for it. It's the woman's decision. And Roe v. Wade was a Solomonic adjudication of that physical reality. That's what I have to say about it. Um, we have to I let people off the hook. Yeah. Can I ask you a question as a Jewish guy? Yeah. How do Catholics justify banning abortion to save the human life while supporting the death penalty, which exactly. we know uh, with 100% certainty does result in the death of a small a percentage of innocent people? I, I've always been mystified by that. Well, Mike Farrell and many other Catholics who call, do the seamless garment. I don't know about Mike. Mike, I, I don't need to. But the, the stuff I read about seamless garment is they are anti-death penalty. That's where it becomes difficult for me to talk to people who are social justice Catholics who, who are against the death penalty, but they're also 
have been, I don't think they will be now, but they also have been pretty much 100% against abortion, except I'll say in cases of rape and incest, but they would like, they didn't peep with this uh, push to overturn Roe v. Wade. They didn't talk about it. You know, the nuns, the little sisters of so-and-so who didn't want to have anything to do with allowing contraception even, which is, shows you more of a confusion because then it's like, well, don't make us conceive anybody. Give us a condom, give us some pills to pay for it. No, can't do that either. So there's hypocrisy. But really, Harvey, what I'm saying is it, it would be a minority of people that believe in death penalty and don't believe in abortion. Most of them will be men, and most of them will be hardcore conservative Republicans. But the people that we, I think, need to motivate to understand the um, venality of this decision, they would be, call themselves seen people against death penalty, against abortion. We need to talk about how women are equal with men and how reproduction is not an enslaved forcible thing. You, you, you can't do that. If life does begin a conception, fine, but you can't get in there and, and say, I'm going to take this life out and make sure, oh, that I'm such a good person. I'm going to nurture it and bring it to birth. You can't do that. Hey, that's not the way God planned it. You know, Okay, so I know yeah. that, um, Mimi, I know Danette uh, would really like to talk with you. Danette, uh, go ahead. Please. I, yeah, uh, Mimi, I, I'm going to have, I respect you so much, but I'm going to have to disagree because I don't even think religion should be a part of this discussion. We were not founded on any religion. Right. Um, it, even though the pilgrims who came here were, were uh, just right. as bad as the right-wingers are today. But I'm an atheist. What about right. us? What about our argument that it shouldn't I would factor say, in? Jeanette, I would say totally respecting atheists have a more respect for what goes on yes. on earth than religionists. Okay. Yes, so, absolutely. So Jeanette, the reason I, I should have framed this, I think of this as, as what we're going to do politically. To talk about it religiously yeah. has gotten us nowhere except yeah. for the right wing becoming Republican and voting Republican as a block with women who believe that life begins conception, i.e. Catholics that I was raised with. But, so I'm only framing it politically and that's why I'm bringing up the religious part of it because okay. politically, okay, so I don't need to explain that. Well, yeah, and I want to point out, you know, as the great Abby Hoffman once explained, in the Jewish religion, the fetus is not considered fully human until it graduates from medical school. Call on some more women here. Uh, Lynn Feinerman, Lynn, go ahead, please. Oh, no, Sligo, I wasn't done. Sorry. Oh, go ahead, Danette, please. Yeah. Um, also, too, um, there's just a, a, a mass um, misinformation campaign, too. I don't think any of these people have taken the most rudimentary science classes. That uh, clump of cells is a parasite. Um, and it is not a viable human until way into the pregnancy. So that in that in my mind, that's a that's a moot point too. So again, 
as yeah. an argument, no, I know. Supreme Court, all this is absolutely a moot point. There's separation of church and state, and this is a mostly Catholic view of uh, life and conception. And P.S. It's a, we used to be considered a sin to have any sex that was not open to reproduction. That's called openness to life, and that's another as you know, as late as 1966, Humanae Vitae. That was the Pope said. Yeah, no, I'm talking in political terms how to get a democracy to stop voting church mm-hmm. state. Well, which the, is what they worried about with Kennedy and he had to say, no, I won't listen yeah. to the, pop. you know, where'd that go? Well, beyond the enraging point that they want to say, tell me what I can do with my body. Yes. I don't want your freaking um, religion shoved down my throat. That's I'm right. so furious about that. I think that no. that probably finally will be a galvanizing thing to get. I hope so. Me too. But there are people, I think, that are horrified that it's come to this, who also, this happened with Roe v. Wade. There were people who still believe that life begins at conception, but they were willing to live with Roe v. Wade because it was actually, you can't pull the life out of the woman too bad. And, And yet, it was a little bit of not separation of church and state there. It was a kind of weighing politically how people felt. And now we're in a complete uh, handmaiden situation with Catholic male justices who've decided we're going to legislate and make women. And they're not even thinking about the children that are being born. In Romania, they had a ban on, a total ban on contraception. The good Catholic Ceausescu, who was a bloody dictator and died bloodily, um, unlike the Velvet Revolution in Czechoslovakia, uh, Mm -hmm. Ceausescu succeeded oh we had a whole ban on on uh, abortion what happened do you remember the pictures of the babies in the cribs in romania 15 to a crib with their arms out when a human being walked into the room those those children were raised they were they were mentally undeveloped because they had no they weren't developing like children are supposed to develop in and out of the womb if if you want to bring it to that so can I ask you one more question that seriously mystifies me and is rooted in Catholicism? Yeah. How is it that these people are so concerned about abortion mm-hmm. and yet oppose sex education and birth control? And in fact, I, I, I love to say this, that in all of American history, as an historian, I will swear to this, that the number one organization that has averted or prevented the most abortions in American history by tens of millions is Planned Parenthood. Exactly, Planned, Planned Parenthood, Parenthood, which has disseminated, uh, 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 you know, birth control for which its founder was uh, prosecuted, and sex education. I would venture to say, you know, half the teenagers who get pregnant have no idea how they got pregnant. Can I tell you a story from my family, which is kind of horrifying. I have an aunt married into the family and she had the most, she had five kids. Her father, it turned out, was the head of Planned Parenthood in the city where she grew up. He was a doctor. And I went back when my mother described the rhythm method to me backwards on the eve of my marriage, backwards. I went back to that aunt and said, is this what you understood about when you could get pregnant and when you couldn't? She said, yeah, that sounds about right. (laughs) So Catholic Church would say, 
if you want to make love safely, only at this time, and they get it backwards. Yeah, contraception, all of it's a sin. And why, I will just say this, look at it. It's a male celibate organization. And they don't understand women. They don't believe women are equal. And they have an ideal of the Madonna who stays home barefoot in the kitchen, reproducing children. I know that sounds harsh, but bottom line, that's what it is. And unfortunately, this is what's become of the abortion debate in this country. And all the railing against it has been hard to, to get people to see that women are people and they have equal rights and democracy and the church shouldn't be there because of this doctrine is we can't let you sin we can't well, i will say I, I you know that i you it's not just limited to catholics my father who was a well-educated jewish guy when the time came took me aside to explain to me the birds and the bees uh -huh. and when i later reviewed what he told me i have to say that everything he told me was wrong Exactly. And it's a miracle that I was ever born because he knew absolutely nothing. And no he was a Jewish guy, for God's sake. So there you go. Um, uh, let's proceed with this. Um, uh, Danette, is there more that you want to say? Danette? Uh, oh, no, I just wanted to apologize for Mimi for interrupting. I do apologize. I get pretty hot under the collar. And I know you're, you're very um, educated, and I love hearing you speak on this. Oh, uh, back at you. Don't don't worry. This is pretty fucked up. Yeah. Oh, I've lived with it a long time. A right. long, okay. long time. That, I know. It's wanna, just, seven, it's way, we can't use those words, but that's Mimi coming from you. It's it's a holy uh, uh, phrase. Uh, okay, Lynn Feinerman, please, Lynn. Lynn Feinerman, and then um, uh, Mary Butler Stonewall. Mary, uh, Lynn, Lynn Feinerman, are you there? Uh, you're muted, Lynn. Muted. Where are you, Lynn? There you the host is not allowing me to unmute. No, you're good. You're good. You're good. Okay. I am I'm more worked up than I can express because, um, first of all, uh, the Catholic Church murdered, tortured, raped Native American and Native yep. Canadian kids over yes. and over. I mean, really. How do they slouch around the world like evil, I can't even say it, and tell other people when they should have children or when not. They go to South America and they bless those oil wells that are being dug in the middle of Ecuador so that they can poison their children in Ecuador. They have gone and raped and pillaged everything and everyone that vatican vault is full of filthy lucre and they have the brass gall to get behind a political campaign to take away rights from women i don't want to yeah. know their laws i don't want to know the ins and outs no you i'm just saying because you're going to talk to people we have to church this is not a Christian country. Everybody's trying to make it a Christian country on the right. It is not. It is a country of freedom of religion. Yes. And I'm I'm done, but I'm not done. I get it. I get it. <laughs> well, How do we get Donald Trump and George Bush? How do we get all these jerks? Okay. Yeah, well, and I, I will point out that George Washington, you know, of all people, made it very clear that this is not a Christian country. 
And except for Washington, the majority of the founders who wrote the Constitution were not even Christian themselves. Tom Jefferson, John Adams, uh, James Madison, they were all Unitarians. And if, if, if they were very clear that they were not Christians. And I think, and I'm, I'm sorry to intervene here, but this is a, as a historian, when we refer to founders, we need to refer to the indigenous as well. Because our constitution written by those white guys, in fact, was uh, guided very strongly uh, by uh, the indigenous, especially the Iroquois Confederacy, which influenced very directly Ben Franklin and George Washington, among others. But a lot of indigenous don't like to hear that because <laughs> the, the country didn't turn out exactly the way they wanted. Um, uh, Mary Stonewall, uh, are, you, are you good, Lynn? Uh, should we move on? Yes, Sluggo, I'd, I'd also like to uh, call out that uh, Dr. Ruth Strauss, a surgeon, is ready to weigh in with her particular expertise about the issue. All right, very good. And uh, 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 let's have, Mary was first, and then Dr. Ruth, thank you. And by the way, I want to thank Mike Hirsch, uh, our, our engineer, and Steve Caruso, uh, our engineer and webmaster, for uh, running this, this call today. Um, but let's, uh, let's hear from Mary. And then from Ruth, please. All right, I just want to reiterate that, you know, you guys read on task with our, our federal government is only is supposed to be writing laws that protect one state's actions from another state's actions, that one state doesn't jeopardize the sovereignty of a state and its citizens from the actions from another. So like uh, Washington state polluting Oregon waters, the government's supposed to write those kind of laws to protect, but in all actuality, those were thrown out as early as 1793. And that's the loyalist Whig heads. And from then on, that's Christian movement within the United States to replace the word um, inherent natural rights with God-given rights. All that has been, if you look back, is all the loyalist Whig head parties of the 1700s. But um, I just want to point out, I... I've been dealing with this problem because uh, here in Spokane back in the 90s, we had uh, attacks at Planned Parenthood. And so I created a shirt and I'm thinking of mass producing it for this event. And what it is, is it's, you guys are gonna like this. So I had to describe it to you. It's a farmhouse window and on the counter, I mean, on the table, you can see in the window as you see a tree outside the house with the branch on it. But you look in the house and there's a sign on there with the little thing and it says pro-life. But next to it is caviar, eggs, and veal. And on the outside of the house, you see the baby boy cow. You see the chicken. And you see an American eagle holding a salmon in its pounds. And the caption at the bottom is, who are they to talk? Because every day these people are eating babies before they go out and protest to not kill babies. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, uh, is there more, uh, or can we move on to Dr. Ruth, and then Myla Reason? Go ahead, uh, Dr. Ruth. Thank you for that, Mary. Dr. Ruth, please. Yeah. Hi. Well, Dr. first Ruth, of all, uh, Strauss, by the way, is a uh, based in Los Angeles, and she is a heart surgeon, so um, uh, she knows wherever she speaks. Go ahead, Dr. Ruth. Uh, actually, I'm not a heart surgeon. I'm a cardiologist. Uh, but anyway, uh, the, the bottom line is, you know, let, let, let's start with a few medical facts. 
Um, in terms of uh, quote unquote fetal heartbeat, which these people are going by, you can take two cells out of the billions of cells in a heart, put it in a Petri dish, give it the right liquid and it will beat, um, you know, cardiac tissue has what's called automaticity. So just because it contracts doesn't mean it's pumping blood. Um, so this business about fetal heartbeat at six weeks, it's fetal, you know, heart cell contraction. It is not a functioning heart. And the latest research is that the heart probably doesn't function until 20 weeks. So that's, you know, numerous. Um, You're breaking up a bit, Ruth. I'm sorry. Okay, did you heard that part, right? Yes. Go ahead. Um, and and I know I know probably everybody on this call knows that you know the morning after pill at that point you know and even with the IUD, uh, these are clusters of cells. They are not a fetus. Um, so that's ridiculous. Number three. Um, Harvey, obviously, uh, your father didn't do such a good job about teaching you uh, <laughs> about the birds and the bees if you have six children and a jillion grandchildren. But anyway, um, you were exactly right about teenagers. I was on this um, Planned Parenthood Speakers Bureau uh, uh, in between, uh, well, in medical school. And uh, I went around and, you know, talked to rehabilitating drug addicts and firemen and high school students. And, you know, in high school, if you pass around a condom or a diaphragm, they didn't even want to touch it. I mean, they were so squeamish and giggling. So to your point about, you know, they don't even really know about birth control. They, they know how to do it, but they don't necessarily know how to protect themselves or where babies come from or whatever. So that was it. Another thing I wanted to say is I debated a right life person in at Harvard Medical School in, um, in medical school. Their idea, and I know Mimi knows this, is abstinence. That's their idea of what teens should do about teen pregnancy is, quote unquote, just don't do it. Um, so, I mean, and of course, that's lots of luck with that. Right. <laughs> the final my, thing. my favorite condom story, by the way, and this is documented, is that Peace Corps volunteers, uh, when they first went into India to promote, um, uh, do you have to go, Mimi? No. I can't hear you. Are you, are you muted? Mimi's muted. I'll be getting on my phone. I have to leave, but I'm getting on my phone. Okay. okay. Thank you I'm so much, here. Mimi. Okay. Keep, okay. Stay with us. Um, yeah. um, when um, Peace Corps volunteers went into Indi villages in India to promote birth control, they would come in with a, we've got some kind of weird thing on here. They would come in with a, um, a carving of a male sex organ and they would give a talk and they would put the condom on the male sex organism, organ to uh, show how it worked. And then they came back a year later and there had been no drop in the birth rate and all the uh, houses had a statue of a condom with a, of a, of a male sex organ with a condom on it. I don't, I don't think they quite understood. I and I would love, by the way, to hear Donald Trump um, uh, explain how reproduction works. I bet he has no idea. Um, um, okay. Let me just check, gonna, let me say one other thing, Harvey. Yes. I know everybody here knows, but I'm just going to re-emphasize it. 
the incidence of women's death from pregnancy is going up. And a lot of that has to do with women getting pregnant later, African-American women getting with a condition of clampsia with uh, malignant hypertension. Um, you know, uh, there's ectopic pregnancies where if it's taken to term, the person will die. Um, I had a patient uh, in a high-risk OB rotation that I was doing who had a fetus. This is kind of, you know, if you're squeamish, don't listen. But a baby who was basically born without a brain in the backside of its head. And, um, and then because it wasn't developed, the uterus fills up with fluid instead of the developing fetus. If that person had not been able to have her pregnancy terminated at, you know, uh, five or six months um, and give birth to this fetus that was not going to live, um, she would have died. So these people are, I'll sum up by saying what Randy uh, Rhodes said best, love the fetus, hate the child. Thank you. Yeah, okay, we're gonna do uh, Myla and then Wendy, and then we're gonna actually have our first guy speak uh, who will be Joel Siegel. So um, uh, uh, go ahead, please. Oh, thank um, you, Harvey. Uh, Myla, yeah. First of all, I wanna say, Thank you, thank you, Lynn. You bring uh, the appropriate level of uh, anger and emotion to this, uh, to what's going on right now. And I really appreciate what you had to say. Um, there are a couple of things I would like to talk about. I do have a, a question for uh, Mimi about Opus Dei. If, is, is Mimi still with us or? I, I don't think she can speak actually. So. Um, um... But oh. you can hold it for next week. We're going to revisit this next week. There'll be plenty okay. of time. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious about her take on the fact that uh, so many of our Supreme Court justices are not just Catholic, but they belong to this ultra conservative right wing secret society called Opus Dei. And, um, and I think that that's important to separate them from most Catholics. Uh, but, uh, but also, I wanted to look, talk a little bit about um, how Roe and abortion rights has been sort of used by the Democratic Party as a way of, uh, as an argument to convince, um, to, I'm sorry, I'm a little distracted because Mimi's saying she is here in the chat. Um, and oh. if, if, if Mimi can talk about Opus Dei, I'd love to hear about that and Please, then talk about, talk about the next, uh, the, about Roe and how the Democrats have used it, if that's go ahead, possible. Unmute. Okay. Yes. Opus Dei is, again, a medieval secret society. Um, and they are members of Opus Dei and they are patriarchal. They are supremacist. And that's all I can say. They are on steroids, the patriarchal uh, version of male idolatry, which is the Catholic Church at the moment and in regard to this issue. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, thank you. Thank you, Mimi. And then uh, what I'd like to say is that, um, unfortunately, I think that um, it's been a really cynical uh, ploy by establishment Democrats to use uh, Roe and the potential to overturn Roe 
as a way to scare people into voting for for Democrats that they say, well, you know, if you if you elected a Republican president, he's going to put people on the Supreme Court who will overturn Roe. Years ago, the Democrats had uh, the power in Congress to codify um, privacy and the rights that um, that are derived from the decision of Roe v. Wade. And I think that they uh, didn't do that strategically so that they could use Roe as an issue to uh, to convince people to vote for Democrats. And I'm, I'm really pretty pissed off about that. And, um, and, and they could do it today. They could actually bring it up. Um, it might not survive the filibuster, but at least we would have people on record uh, if they want to vote against uh, a privacy, if they want, then uh, let them vote against it and go on the record. And then I believe that enough uh, people, uh, women and, uh, and men who also appreciate the rights to privacy uh, to, uh, to, to, be, to, to stand up and be counted. And I think people will, uh, that could actually uh, be influence the the, ele the coming election in in the direction of uh, uh, privacy rights. So that's what I have to say. Thank you very much. Uh, Harvey might be on the phone right now. Um, there's an an awful lot going on. Um, I just wanted to say. Um, Thank you everybody for, for being on this Zoom. This is an incredibly um, horrendous time to be alive. And uh, I'm urging everybody to um, show each other love and respect and compassion during this time um, because the last thing we can afford to do is turn on each other. And also as a personal favor to me, please, if you've already spoken, don't raise your hand again until everybody's had a chance because um, like I said, this is a very, um, very passionate topic. And we yes, all need is. to and have thank you, And thank you for that, Mike. I was um, inadvertently muted. Thank you for that. Um, Myla, uh, we're gonna go to Wendy and then uh, we'll let uh, 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 Joel and Justin speak and then Julie Weiner. Uh, this is a phenomenal discussion, as you know. I mean, I feel like we're, we're, we're discussing American politics after a nuclear bomb has dropped on the country. That's the, that's the depth of this. And we will do this again next week. We will be joined by Christian Nunez, but we have a wonderful crew. We have more than 70 people now. Uh, Wendy Lederman, go ahead, and then we'll go to Joel Siegel, uh, Justin, and Julie. Uh, Wendy, are you back with us? Um, Wendy, Wendy Lederman? Okay, if she can get unmuted. Uh, we, want, we do want to discuss the politics of this. Myla um, uh, brought up uh, the fact that the Democrats have not done what they could have done, which is codify uh, a national right uh, to, uh, to a woman's right to choose. And you know, this is not a new issue, folks. Uh, Planned Parenthood was founded in the early 1900s. And the, the founder of Planned Parenthood um, um, was uh, persecuted. She was prosecuted under federal law for pornography, of all things. Uh, uh, and um, she actually fled the country. And the reason that she founded Planned Parenthood, because her mother kept having children. 
and, and her mother uh, actually wound up dying in childbirth. And when she went to a doctor to get advice as, as to how to not get pregnant, the doctor told her mother to have her husband sleep on the roof. That was literally what the doctor told the founder of Planned Parenthood. And, uh, and then when she, she started it, she had a clinic in Brooklyn. Uh, they busted her clinic. They arrested her for mailing stuff. She went out on bail and she actually jumped bail and, and went to Europe. I came back and was not prosecuted after that. So, but Planned Parenthood started in the early 1900s and it's been a phenomenally successful organization and we need to recognize it as the organization that has averted the most abortions. If you're against abortion, support Planned Parenthood. Uh, go ahead, Joel Siegel, please. Hi, everybody. Um, I got a cold, a little summer cold. So if I sneeze or cough, it'll get on my screen, but not it won't go through any of you. <laughs> so um, this is very personal to me. My I have a family member. Actually, it's someone who I'm very close to. When she was in high school and college, she had three abortions. Now, I'm, I don't know what would have happened if abortion had been illegal in North Carolina, and I think it will be illegal in North Carolina. But clearly, this family member would have been embarrassed to tell my, my, my mother, um, to tell her friends. So th this, is, this goes further than the law, this, this is about you know, people's lives being destroyed, who happen to be women. The second point I want to make, Christian Nunez called me. She will be on next week, but she's got three interviews. What she just told me is Louisiana just passed a law criminalizing abortion where it is now homicide. Now, I don't know if anyone realizes this, but to pass a law to make it a homicide for a woman who is exercising her right to choose, I have never in my life, I did not think that I would ever see that. So if you're convicted of homicide, you're going to go to jail. I mean, you could go to jail for the rest of your life. It's homicide, murder. Uh, if it's first degree murder and, and they say, well, it was intentional, I, you, know, you can get life in prison. This is very, very serious. We're talking about what I call Taliban um, anti-choice activists. I don't see a difference between the Taliban and um, anti-choice because it's basically, I don't see the difference. Um, the question is, what are we going to do about it? Um, I do think there needs to be a national strategy meeting with NARAL, um, the different organizations who are pro-choice, and then organizations in 50 states, 435 congressional districts, we have to have a fight back strategy. I always say to myself, what would Martin Luther King do? Congressman Connors used to always say, Joel, what would King do? What would Mandela do? What would Rosa Parks do? Is I tell you one thing they would not do, they would not blog, just blog a movement, they would organize. And there has to be a lot of money raised to send out organizers to, to fight this. Um, I've never seen, in, in all the years you know, that I've been involved in the law, 
where one Supreme Court justice arbitrarily and unilaterally says, I don't like abortion, so I'm going to outlaw it. And 78% of the American people support it. The majority of Democrats and Republicans support it. Not as much of a wide margin among, among Republicans. But there's no, there's no case precedent for this. They just sort of made it up. Um, but I, I'm concerned about um, how do we win? Chuck Schumer, the majority leader in the Senate, will be introducing a bill tomorrow that will give women a right to choose. It'll negate this law that has not been issued, by the way, by the Supreme Court. It's been leaked. Um, do I give the Democrats credit? I don't give them credit very often. But I'm going to give them credit on this one. For Schumer to take leadership on this issue right away, is that's good news. Uh, and I'm sure they'll probably do something in the House. Whoever votes no on this bill, people are going to have to protest March, do civil disobedience. We're going to have to really look at the 60s tactics of civil disobedience. There, there could be, you know, easily organized on, you know, once one day a week, um, nationwide protest at courthouses across the country. And I would do Tiananmen Square like protests in front of the Supreme Court. I'm talking thousands and thousands of people just in front of the Supreme Court, millions of possible in their own uh, jurisdictions. And then the last thing I want to say is we got Dr. Strauss here, Dr. Ruth Strauss, who I would love to meet her one day. Um, where I think we can win this is on one thing, medical evidence. The evidence shows that there women will die Women will die, and especially women of color and low-income women, if they don't get the medical care that they need and if they don't have um, choice. That way, the true death panels that the Republicans talked about during Obamacare, these, the Supreme Court is a death panel. Uh, states that pass laws uh, outlawing abortion through their trigger laws, those are death panels. But we, we're going to have to have meetings with a lot of doctors, therapists, to really explain what Dr. Ruth Strauss just talked about. What's the medical evidence here? You could, on the one hand, say it is a moral act not, you know, to stop a baby from being murdered in the womb. Okay. Is it a moral act for a woman to die as the result of not being able to have abortion? Is it a moral act? For a woman to have to travel from this state to that state to stay in a hotel and where it's legal? No, it, it punishes low income women of color and low income women. The other issue is will they ban the pill? Will they ban? I, I, I'm, I'm not even sure what they're called, but um, the, the pill that women take to have an abortion. That's another, that's another issue. But do I think we can win this issue? I do. Plan B. Thank you, Allison. But um, the medical evidence that women will die as the result of this law is what's going to have to happen. But we're going to have to do TV commercials. They're going to have to hire whoever is organizing this movement. We'll have to have uh, PR firms hired to do you know, all kinds of media blitzes 
What if people don't know that women will die if they don't get the care that they need? Is it moral if you if a woman is raped or there's incest? She has to bring the baby to term. Anyway, I, I'm going to stop there. But it's that medical evidence that to me is the Achilles heel of the right wing. Uh, thank you, uh, Joel. Uh, Wendy Lederman had a hand. Wendy? Thank you so much. And thank you, Joel. Thank you, everybody. Lynn, um, Mimi, everyone. This is fantastic. Uh, that's perfect segue, actually. Um, I have just a couple of points. I'll be brief. But yeah, um, you know, they, they say that the, the inception is when the child support payments begin. And then what's going to happen when, like, the babies come and nobody's there to take care of them? And there was a study done um, years ago where it showed that there is... Um, a gap like after Roe versus Wade was passed, like crime rates dropped like 15 years later when like all the babies that would have been born um, unwanted, be, be, like it just showed that when, when there were a lot of pregnancies and a lot of babies being born that were to broken families and no one to take care of them, crime rates were sky high. And once we had Roe versus Wade, 15 years later, the, those crime rates started dropping. And and to Joel's point, you know, there's the, um. I, I, it's an, a stupid analogy, but I'm an 80s baby, so I think of the movie Dirty Dancing, and I just like I remember being introduced to this issue at like seven years old, eight years old, when it was like that one scene where they have to wake the dad who's the doctor in the middle of the night because a botched abortion went wrong, you know. And so, what are the statistics of like not even just what happens in in the hospitals of you know the fetuses killing the, the mothers, but like just you know you see the coat hangers and, and all that. Like, what are the statistics? on that alone. And just one more quick point is, um, I remember uh, Danny Sheehan had some good points the other night about um, the Fourth Amendment and the um, the right to privacy, the search and seizure thing. And this is just a really constitutional issue because, you know, the, the right wing and a lot of people that have usurped their, their power and authority are trying to claim that if a right isn't enumerated in the Constitution, that it belongs to the state, which is totally unvalidated like they don't even have basis for saying that if it's not specifically and ex explicit explicitly expressed whether you can or cannot do something the right belongs to the people so i just think that that's something to um to keep pushing thank you so much everybody thank you uh I'm much appreciated justin has been waiting a long time thank you wendy uh justin and then uh julie and eric uh, oh and uh, mike hirsch has also had a hand uh, and we, we are going to try and cut this at the top of the hour. We will do another hour to begin next week. I mean, obviously, this is as big an issue as there possibly can be. And um, we, will, we will definitely have Christian Nunez. Mimi Kennedy was spectacular today. I'm so glad we had Mimi with us. We still have 70 people on the call. Uh, but uh, uh, please uh, go ahead, um, uh, Justin, and then uh, Julie Wiener, and then um, uh, Eric. Go ahead. Uh, two points oh, really quick. Right. Uh, two points really quickly. One, uh, Harvey, you said before, you'll know a corporation is a person when Texas executes one. Right. The corollary to this one is uh, the, you can, the government can get into the citizen bedroom only after it has raided the corporate boardroom. And uh, so the, this is part one. Part two, Amy Coney Barrett, part of that Opus Dei movement, most uh, people, I don't know if you're aware, the kids that she adopted and including, and also the kids that she had naturally are all cared for by nannies, right? She doesn't even have to do any care for this. So this is entirely a servitude issue. And in fact, it is a uh, servitude all the way to Midwest uh, uh, states 
passing laws for 14 year olds to replace retirees for work. They just want cheap labor, bottom line. Yes, and by the way, um, um, the Opus Day was mentioned by Myla and Mimi. Um, those of you, I learned about Opus Day. The only thing I learned about Opus Day was from the, the, the novel, The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. And Da Vinci Code was a bestseller. And anybody who ever read it, you really should read, now is the time to read that book. It's one of the most pro-feminist, anti-Catholic church you'll ever, books you'll ever read. And that's the only place I've ever seen Opus Dei mentioned. But I do want to recommend in the middle of all this, The Da Vinci Code, if you're looking for an amazing novel. The, 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 um, the movie doesn't really get it. The novel itself is quite uh, progressive. Um, uh, Mike Hirsch, you've been waiting. Thank you for that, Justin. Mike Hirsch, uh, do you want to jump in with us, please? And thanks so much, Slogo. I'm going to try to be real quick. Um, you asked me to focus on how we got here and how we get out of the situation. And I just wanted to point out the Supreme Court has been radicalized and politicized at least since the Bush v. Gore decision, which appointed W. Bush president. And then W. Bush turned around and appointed Chief Justice Roberts and Justice, or I like to call him Injustice, Samuel Alito. The Supreme Court then attacked voting rights and they dis dismantled the modest campaign finance laws that we had that unleashed rampant bribery. It used to be called bribery when you paid a politician to do special favors. Now it's called speech, according to the crazy doctrine concocted by the Supreme Court. And since then, we've seen dark money rig our elections, rig our primaries. Um, and turn our political system into a, uh, a game where the highest bidder gets what they want and unleashing uh, huge tax cuts that, in, in, that put billionaire oligarchs in charge of newspapers, um, trying to buy up Twitter, in charge of Facebook, all without any regulation. So how do we get out of this? Joel Siegel told us we have to mobilize. When Rosa Parks began, she lacked the tools and resources that we have now. She started out by radicalizing Dr. King and they made history because they were able to inspire thousands, if not millions of Americans. We have to do it again. We're right back where we started in the 50s, if not before. We've seen it. Harvey as a historian can explain how it was done. We need to follow that blueprint. We have no choice. Thank you, Michael. And, and I, I want to say, emphasize this, there, there is historical precedent for this. This comes right out of Puritan Boston. If anybody's interested, I'll send you my book, The People's Spiral of U.S. History. But um, as Joel Siegel has read, the, the, this, is, this is in our Puritan tradition. And it's no accident that Alito in this decision has cited uh, two sources of British law dating back to the 16 hundreds, for God's sakes. He's using as precedent for an American legal decision, uh, an essay written by an English jurist in the 1600s, for God's sakes. How crazy can you possibly get? Well, if you want to read about Puritan Boston, you'll understand. And this is why it's a slippery slope here. It's not just abortion. It's going to be gay rights, gay marriage, uh, interracial marriage, contraception, all that stuff was illegal in Puritan Boston, and it will be again. Um, Julie Weiner and then um, Eric Lazarus and then Nancy Naparco. 
Thanks. I have a couple of things I've been wanting to say. Slugger, you just gave me a segue back to the back to my first point. You were talking about the Puritanism that's endemic to U.S. culture. I once gave a talk on biofeedback to pre-med students at CCNY. These are college age students who could not hear about pelvic floor biofeedback used for treating urinary incontinence without giggling and talking to each other and whispering. It was really difficult to get through that part of the lecture. And um, I, I wanted to mention, I just read, I don't, I was just trying to look up the names. I don't have them all, but three Supreme, Supreme Court justices are adoptive parents, including Amy Coney Barrett. And um, there's, a, there's a couple of people have quoted a line in one of the sources that Alito cites that mentions that there's a, God, the word isn't shortage. There's a, um, what's the word for, what's the word for market shortage? Um, shortage is good enough, go ahead. Okay, there's a shortage of babies up, babies for adoption. So there's demand, oh, there's an inadequate supply. That's the word I was looking for. So they're looking for a larger supply of adoptable babies, which of course means white babies because there are plenty of um, African-American and Hispanic children living their lives in um, foster care because there's nobody to adopt them. So, uh, so there are three Supreme Court adoptive parents and there are three Catholic Supreme Court justices. Personally, I think all three, all each of those should recuse themselves if there were any justice because the adoptive parents are seeing the situation only from the side of adoptive parents and not from the side of women forced to bear a child that they don't want and then forced to give up a child um, that they can't afford to carry with a lifetime of guilt and a lifetime of pain for the children who are abandoned. And then finally, I wanna mention the Equal Rights Amendment. Biden, one of the things the Democrats could do right now, Biden could instruct the United States archivist to record the ERA in the constitution now that 38 states have ratified it. And he has continued to refuse to do so as Trump did. So that would give women a legal basis for equality in United States law, which we actually don't have because the ERA has not been passed. And the three last states, Virginia, Nevada, Illinois, the, uh, Illinois, Colorado. The, the, the three last states that ratified it sued the archivist to get him to put it into the Constitution, and they were denied standing. God. Okay, thank you, uh, uh, Dewey. Uh, uh, I want to say we are at six o'clock Eastern time. We are going to continue this for the full hour beginning next week. We know that this could go on for hours. Dr. Carolyn Orr has been kind enough to join us. We are gonna segue over and talk about saving our earth uh, and, and uh, the science of global warming, the petition to stop the Diablo Canyon and other nuclear plants from continuing to operate. And then we're gonna revisit uh, the insanity of gerrymandering in Ohio. So I'm gonna go through um, uh, Eric and uh, Nancy Naparco, and I, I know some of you also have hands on this, but uh, we will be doing a full hour again next week on this with Christian Nunez from now and others, uh, but we, we do need to balance. And I mean, it, it is staggering 
uh, the, this uh, assault on women. People don't remember, I guess, that women are a voting majority in this country. So at any rate, we will continue this for a couple more minutes, and then we're gonna go to Carolyn Orr and to our discussions on the environment and on gerrymandering. It's amazing, we still have 70 people on the call. It's been phenomenal, the quality of discussion. I wanna thank you all for keeping the level so incredibly high. And, and this is the future of our country. And we need to get deeper into the organizing around this. So let's do that. But Eric Lazarus and then Nancy Naparco, please. Hi, um, quick question for, um, for the attorneys uh, and then um, a quick point. Um, the question is, you know, does it make sense um, for progressives to kind of alert the court that this is a bridge too far, you know, between Bush v. Gore, um, the theft of this uh, of the of the seat that um, that had been uh, emptied by the death of uh, Antonia Scalia, um, the number of justices who were um, appointed by presidents who themselves didn't get a majority, and the fraud of them all saying, "Oh yeah, settled law, Roe is settled law," and then you know at their first opportunity overthrowing it. Um, does it make sense for us to be saying, um, obviously, per, you know, when the Democrats have enough control, we need to either pack the court or do something um, like term limits or, or something. We can't just let this go on forever. They need to understand if they do this, um, they've created a legitimacy, uh, uh, a legitimacy crisis. Is this a good idea or a bad idea? No idea. But the thing that I'm really clear about, uh, let me put this into... Uh, into the chat right this second. There's an amazing resource. People who do not know, Annette Shankar Osorio does this podcast called Words to Win By. And there are two episodes in particular that people who care about abortion rights should listen to. The one about Ireland, um, and I put those two in, uh, in the chat. Um, she's a messaging guru um, who talks about how to frame messaging and I put the, her manual in there. Um, I think we ought to try to get her here because she's, I think she's brilliant. I'm not sure uh, Stanker Osorio, but the easy thing to remember is words to win by. Um, thank you very much. Thank you, Eric. Thank you very much. Uh, Nancy Naparco, you're next. And then we're gonna segue over to Carolyn Orr and talk about the climate, Tatanka, um, and maybe you get a quick word in, but go ahead, uh, Nancy Naparco. Uh, two quick things. One, as a pediatric neurologist, I will say that neurologists really believe in quality of life. And I have a whole lot of trouble having cared for lots of preemie, preemie babies, uh, thinking of them more than a bundle of nerves. I know that sounds horrible, but until, until uh, they're raised, um, that's when they become a person. But I think another whole other side of this could be handled very easily by making a law that every 10 or 12 year old boy gets checked for DNA. And then when a baby is born, they are 50% responsible for raising that child until 18. I think everything would change very quickly. Well, I know I'm, I've been with my grandchildren lately and uh, five minutes is about all I can go for any child under five, six months. But a uh, good point, Nancy and Parco, uh, thank you for that. Let's slip into talking and then we'll go to Dr. Carolyn Orr and make our segue again. Next week, we will take this up again. 
We still have 70 people with us. We will start again with uh, this situation and we'll give a, a full hour. We'll have uh, a Christian Nunez from now. And uh, we really want to get into the politics of it. Um, um, uh, Tatanka, go ahead. Yeah, great conversation. Thank you, Harvey. I just want to underscore what Julie said that the a shortage of babies is not an insignificant thing and remind everybody to, that to this day, the policy of the state of South Dakota, taking 750 Lakota children away from their families into the white adoption agency is still, that grant from the federal government is still 53% of their budget. This is the state of, you know, Nome, who, you know, maybe Trump's vice presidential suggested running mate. Um, this goes on. And the reason for that is not just for, for uh, what Danny and Sarah of the Romero Institute found out, they worked in this for 15 years and almost got uh, the case decided to have the entire money go to a totally owned uh, Lakota owned healing center in South Dakota, but couldn't get it done before the end of the Obama administration. It wasn't just to create uh, young babies to be adopted, but many of those young preteen kids, men, I mean, girls and boys are to this day sold into sexual slavery and it compromises the entire Republic establishment of South Dakota. So that's all I want to say. All right, thank you very much uh, to talk a, a killer stuff. Uh, we want to move now, as mentioned, we're going to go into climate. We're going to talk about the Diablo Canyon nuclear plant. And then we're gonna go back to the insanity in Ohio over the gerrymandered districts. You are not gonna believe what is going on there. It's astounding and it's going on all over the country. Meanwhile, we are totally honored to have Dr. And thank you all again. This is an astonishing discussion. We will take it up as if nothing happened a week from today. Uh, Dr. Carolyn Orr, you are an expert on climate and you are a doctor. Uh, you're gonna to talk to us about global warming, and then we're going to go to the nuclear situation. Uh, uh, please, the, the, the forum is yours. Uh, thank you so much, Harvey, and thanks for the invitation to speak. Um, I'm a neurologist. I have a U.S. connection. I used to work at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota for a few years before coming back to Australia with an American husband. And I advocate for action on the climate emergency as a medical specialist. In particular, I speak out about fossil fuels as a threat to human health. And in December, I did a TEDx talk at the University of Western Australia on fossil fuels and human health that's now online. Why focus on fossil fuels? Well, coal, oil and gas are an enormous threat to humans, not just from the global heating that they are indisputably driving, but from their effects on our health through the pollution that they cause. It's estimated in a study last year coming from Harvard that one in five of all deaths worldwide are caused by the air pollution that comes from fossil fuels. And that's an absolutely staggering statistic. How does air pollution affect our health? We breathe air pollution in through the lungs where it's associated with asthma, emphysema and lung cancer. In the heart, air pollution causes ischemic heart disease, heart attacks and heart failure. And air pollution accounts for one in four of all ischemic heart disease deaths. Air pollution causes accelerated brain aging, dementia, my speciality subject, and one in five of all deaths from stroke. It affects the mind as well as the brain, and there's a good correlation between air pollution and bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, depression, 
and hospital admissions with psychosis. Air pollution affects our vision through glaucoma, macular degeneration and cataract, and it causes glue ear in children and deafness in children and adults. Air pollution causes skin disease as well, causing our skin to age prematurely, causes melanoma, eczema, psoriasis, and acne. And the list of cancers associated with air pollution is enormous. Colon cancer, rectal cancer, liver cancer, stomach cancer, lung, kidney, bladder, and even childhood leukemia. Air pollution affects parts of the body that you just think shouldn't be affected. And in the gut, air pollution is associated with inflammatory bowel disease, irritable bowel syndrome, peptic ulcer, appendicitis, and cirrhosis of the liver. Air pollution causes 3 million cases of diabetes a year, lupus, a huge association with rheumatoid arthritis and chronic kidney disease, and about one in five causes of kidney failure is supposed to be due to air pollution. It causes weak bones, thin bones, and fracture. It reduces fertility in women and probably poor sperm quality in men. And we are supremely susceptible to air pollution in the womb and as, as children. And it causes miscarriage, being born too early and too small. And in the critical years of zero to five, children are incredibly at risk from adverse long-term health effects associated with air pollution. If you grow up somewhere with cleaner air, we know that children have bigger, healthier lungs and bigger, healthier brains. And there's a compelling evidence for air pollution causing impaired brain development and reduced IQ. So air pollution is an enormous cause of disease and disability in humans and ending fossil fuels, which is the biggest preventable cause of air pollution, is expected to increase the life expectancy of the average human being by 13 months. So right now, fossil fuels are an enormous threat to our health. And in the medium to long term, through climate change, fossil fuels are an even bigger threat to human health with intensifying heat waves, wildfire fires, and extreme weather events like floods, droughts, and cyclones. And we're seeing this playing out here in Australia, as I know you have been in the US. So we constantly hear about the costs of the transition to the renewable energy, but we just don't talk loudly enough about the costs of fossil fuels in terms of human life and human health or the health benefits of the transition to renewable energy. And I really strongly believe that my profession, medical doctors have a responsibility to advocate strongly against fossil fuels, and in particular to call, to call out fossil fuel industries. Well, thank you. That's really powerful and very, very on point. Um, uh, as you know, we've, we've, we are a, have become the green grassroots emergency election protection coalition. We are demanding the phase out of all fossil and nuclear fuels. And um, uh, the, well, the evidence you presented there, and I hope you'll give some strong links in the chat, uh, is absolutely essential to the work we do. Uh, we, we really look for 100% renewable-based, um, well, uh, wind, solar, batteries, and LED efficiency. Uh, that's, the, that's the solar-topian vision that we have, and what you've done there is really important. So, I hope you'll link your, your TED Talk and your other uh, sources into the chat, if you would. I, I, I'd love to do that, because I think we've really got to talk much more about you know, the evils of the fossil fuel industry. They've known since at least the 1960s that climate change was being caused by their products, and since the 80s that it was definitely happening. And they're continuing to spend millions of opposing pollution regulation and climate policy. And they're using it, that they're doing it through five Ds, you know, denial, disinformation, denigration, delusion, and delay. So we've wasted 
decades publicly debating about whether or not climate change was real and whether or not it was caused by humans. We've suffered decades of having environmental scientists and advocates being painted as out of touch sandal wearing hippies. We are still focused on delusion that new technology like carbon capture is going to save us from ourselves. And this is absolute nonsense. It's just an excuse to keep shoveling money towards fossil fuels and most of all delay. But time is incredibly short and the fight against fossil fuels is at a crunch point. We know that what we do this decade will determine human health for our lifetimes and beyond. And we just have to stop letting the fossil fuel industry continue writing politics both in America and in Australia where I live because they have an utter disregard for human suffering in the pursuit of profit. And we need to call them out and we need to put long-term health for everybody above short-term wealth for the very few. Beautifully stated, really beautifully stated. Thank you so much, Carolyn. Um, uh, Steve Caruso, Timothy, and then Tatanka. Steve, you haven't spoken yet. Steve Caruso, go ahead and mute. And, and Timothy, and then Tatanka. Um, uh, Carolyn, uh, you're a beautiful presenter. We really appreciate your, your articulate. Um, and, and I have to say that of all the people who have ever spoken on these calls, your accent is absolutely my favorite. <laughs> so <laughs> it's keep, a Scottish accent, not an Australian one, you know. <laughs> I know it's it's really fabulous. Uh, Steve, so, Carolyn, Carolyn, can you give us a breakdown of the state of the nuclear industry and the coal industry? I mean, all this is in flux all the time when we hear stories breaking out of Australia of what may or may not be going on. And if there's been much progress there in terms of moving green, we see that too as well. So where are we at? Can you summarize that quickly? I don't want to burden you with too much. <laughs> are you talking about Australia specifically? Um, well, we're a bit of a disaster when it comes to climate change, frankly. We're the world's third biggest fossil fuel exporter, mainly oil um, and, and gas. Um, we're the last year Australia ranked Australia the worst country in the world for action on climate change. And we invest almost no public money in renewable energy. We subsidize fossil fuels to the tune of at least $10 billion a year, and we have no subsidies for electric vehicles and very little choice in electric vehicles because there's absolutely no incentive for car manufacturers to send, to send them down under. Instead, we've got vehicles that are on average 1.5 times more polluting than the rest of the developed world because we don't even bother to regulate tailgate pollution. We theoretically signed up for net zero by 2050 in Glasgow last year, but this is still being debated publicly by, we're a two-party system, we've got the Republican equivalents, the Liberal and the Democrat equivalents, Labour, um, and the Liberal Party is still publicly debating whether or not we should be going for net zero by 2050, like it's insane in 2022, and we keep on opening new coal mines, new gas and oil fields, and in fact in my state of Western Australia, which is kind of like the equivalent of Texas, um, we've just signed off on opening a massive new gas, gas and oil facility that's going to contribute the equivalent of my country's yeah, national emissions you... 11 times over. Unbelievable. Although, that... you know, when you mentioned Texas, you have to understand that Texas is actually by far and away the biggest producer of wind power in the United States uh, by a factor of two over the number two state, which is Iowa. But uh, nonetheless, uh, you could have all your power, of course, from Australia in wind and solar. Um, um, more, do you have more, Steve, or should we move uh, to Timothy and then to Tonka and then Wendy? And then we're going to have to move to the nuclear issue. Uh, Carolyn, you're a great presenter. Yeah. Timothy? Yeah, the, the nuclear issue. Can she talk about that for a second? There's no nukes in uh, Australia at this point. Not? No. Oh. So 
Australia has no nuclear power at all. And my understanding from reading this is if you're a country that already has nuclear power, um, you want to phase it out, but you want to bring renewables on board first. But if you're a country like us, we shouldn't touch nuclear with a barge pole because it would because we're much better going for renewables and we could be a renewable superpower if we had the political will, which right now, unfortunately, we don't. And I really hope that's changing because we had massive wildfires a couple of years ago and we've got um, massive flooding this year. So I think, you know, the fact that we're in a climate crisis is finally, you know, penetrating to a significant fraction of our population. But we have problems with concentrated media ownership that keeps all the environmental stuff out of the public domain. And the fossil fuel companies have captured our two party system so that whoever's power you know they don't really get much we're not really able to tackle the problem to the extent it deserves any of this sound familiar to an american audience well i would say that of, of all the exports that australia has ever perpetrated by far the worst is rupert murdoch so <laughs> I, I wish you would I'll wear that for sure back, please. <laughs> okay thank you Steve. Don't want some. <laughs> timothy wendy and then tataka and then okay. we're going to move on to news well, thank you so much for uh, talking to us about uh, fossil fuels and, and how they've affected our health. And they've really, um, there's one thing you didn't cover, and that is plastics. And the plastics that are derived from fossil fuels invade our body. We, there was a study that just came out of Norway that showed that 77% uh, of the people of Norway have plastic in their bloodstream. And these are microplastic and nanoplastics. And, uh, and these affect our immune system. They affect our endocrine system. They affect everything, practically every aspect of our health. And we're only now beginning to get studies that will give us some indication as to how severe our health will be impacted by plastics. And yet we are not even starting to curtail plastic production. We're not, we haven't even, it's just been accelerating, especially since the pandemic happened, since Amazon has gone and become a, a global uh, conglomerate, a global monopoly. Uh, everything is shipped in plastic. Everything is uh, contained in plastic and all of those plastics, I'm not gonna say there's even an exception, are all very destructive to our health. Uh, you have anything to say about it? Yeah, for sure. So really there's known knowns and there's known unknowns and this is a known unknown. So we know that air pollution is really dramatically bad for our health. With plastics, the actual evidence that it's harmful to human beings is very thin on the ground just now. Now, so saying we're finding plastics in our blood, in fetuses and in human brain, heart and lungs. And I don't think any of this can be good. I really have a problem with this. But the actual evidence that it's harmful to humans, we don't yet have. Now, I suspect it's going to be coming out there. And I'm, I am aware of animal studies showing that plastic can be associated with inflammation, but we just don't have that evidence yet. And yet plastic is becoming ubiquitous in our environment, in our bodies. It's in the Mariana Trench. It's in Everest. It's in the Arctic Poles. So essentially, we're conducting a massive unregulated experiment on human health with efforts that we don't know what's this going to do to us and to the next generations it's really scary yeah there are there are some preliminary studies that are starting to come in and it's not looking good it's looking really bad and yes we're even having plastic rain in some of our most pristine national parks in the united states we're actually having plastic rain out of the sky and cover the ground there's been researchers out there who are doing some work in, in the national parks. They had a thunderstorm, and after the thunderstorm, there was a fresh layer of plastic on the ground. So, Unbelievable. Terrible. Yeah. 
Uh, Wendy Thanks. Wiederman and then Tatanka. Thank you, Timothy. Wendy Wiederman and then Tatanka. Thank you so much. Um, sorry, Tatanka. It's always so wonderful to hear um, what Tatanka has to say. And I certainly hope him and um, Dr. Orr have hooked up. And I also um, just I want to say thank you so much. Yeah, like Dr. Orr, thank you so much, Carolyn. Like, this is so amazing. Like, Carolyn, she, she has her practice. She has her family and she is spending her time to do activism. And I know in her, her TED talk, which I put in the um, the chat there, she also has um, the wonderful solution based of, you know, divestment. And I'm, I'm hoping she can talk a little bit more about um, how we can support her work and, and any suggestions that we can do to get behind it. And I just, one more quick thing. We, I also have um, my friend, uh, Sam Van Leer is on the call as well. He joined us and he's like, um, an amazing, like probably the premier person on like for the East Coast. So for everyone to hook up to Tonka and Carolyn, I hope you guys can hook up with Sam somehow um, just in the chat because we can get the, the just the links from West Coast to East Coast to Australia and all the way around for all the ones that are doing the most work and the most good that are just the most, just the wisdom. You guys are so beautiful. You're so wonderful. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Wendy. Thanks for that. And uh, Dr. Orr, I hope you are connected with Dr. Helen Caldicott. Uh, another great Australian who's mentioned in the chat here, and who yeah, is I am. I am. Okay, good. Yeah, we'll give, her, give her our best, please. We're going to have to wrap this section up uh, and move into uh, another throwing topic, which is uh, nuclear power in Diablo Canyon. Uh, Tataka, do you want to do a segue here uh, yeah. from California? Yes, and I want to thank uh, Dr. Orr and invite her to come back in either two or three weeks. We're going to have Camila Chavez who's the executive director of the Lourdes Huerta Foundation and who recently testified on our Senate Bill 1230 in the California legislature that it's estimated that the effect of that bill will be to save 15,000 lives in the Central Valley of California from air pollution. Bakersfield and the Central Valley is the worst, the most polluted in terms of air quality, not only in California, but in most weeks, the worst in our nation. So I totally support you. Um, I hope you can come back for that. And just a suggestion for everybody to read the Ministry of the Future. We're talking about climate change. You need to read the Ministry of the Future, a novel by Kim Stanley Robbins. Well, Thanks. thank you. And uh, Dr. Orr, we do hope you'll come back and be a part of our ongoing uh, team here and uh, do uh, tell Helen, uh, give Helen our best and tell her to keep to join us as well, okay? Thank you, Helen. Yes, and, thank uh, you so much for having me. Thank you, Carolyn. And uh, I will. It's a beautiful presentation. Put your links in the chat, please. And thank you, Wendy, for, for bringing Dr. Orr to us, okay? Okay, we're gonna move on now. Diablo Canyon, uh, there was a horrifying uh, article in The Nation magazine of all places uh, um, advocating that Diablo Canyon stay open uh, Diablo Canyon uh, is the nuke with the two reactors um, surrounded by earthquake faults at San Luis Obispo, California. Uh, I don't know if Linda Seeley has joined us, uh, Linda Seeley from the Mothers for Peace, but uh, thanks to Mike Hirsch, we have uh, posted um, a, an action alert at, at, at the PDA website and also um, the, uh, the Mothers for Peace um, uh, in San Luis Obispo have a link to a petition uh, going to the governor to make sure that Diablo Canyon uh, does not continue to operate. 
So we're confronting this insane um, uh, assertion by some people that um, uh, somehow nuclear power can help fight global warming, which is utterly ridiculous. A nuclear power plants burn at 570 degrees Fahrenheit. And if you can tell me how 400 atomic fires at 570 degrees Fahrenheit can cool the planet, uh, I'll be forever in your debt. So uh, we are, we are uh, sending around. Here's a petition. Steve has just um, posted it. We have one petition just for Californians to go to the governor and then a general uh, and to unelected officials. And then there's the letter uh, for all people posted at the, the Mothers for Peace in San Luis Obispo. And um, one thing that, that really angers me when we get into the nuclear debate with people uh, in the climate change movement is that they seem to assume that nuclear power plants are these black boxes that run well all the time and are not affected by aging, and, you know, or things like uh, uh, cracking of pipes or um, uh, embrittlement of pipes. Or um, uh, uh, we also have in the nuclear power industry an aging workforce, and the idea that you can continue to operate nuclear plants uh, uh, ignores the fact that you actually need people to operate them. So we have put this in the chat. Uh, those of you in California have a special burden to deal with the, the Diablo Canyon reactors. As many of you know, uh, the, um, a deal was cut in 2016 with the labor unions, the utility company, local government and state government, as well as a number of environmental groups to phase out and shut these reactors, the two at Diablo Canyon, uh, by 2024 and 2025. And three years ago, we circulated a petition begging the governor to inspect these reactors. What a concept. And to see if they can actually operate. So far, nothing has been done. But what, we do, what did happen was as part of the deal, um, a thousand megawatts of renewables was put into place in California. And the California renewable industry now employs, ready for this, more than 50,000 people. There are 1,500 who work at Diablo Canyon, 50,000 in California working in renewables. And if Diablo Canyon were to shut tomorrow, the impetus for the renewable industry would be spectacular. I'm going to call on some people that I, I do have to say, the New York Times has just run a major piece on solar in Puerto Rico. And as you recall, Puerto Rico was hit recently by two major earthquakes. And there are very serious plans put forward to go to take Puerto Rico 100% solar. And this piece of the New York Times very, very pointedly uh, shows that the failure to do that has had enormous negative impacts on the quality of life and the environment. In, in Puerto Rico. So let's look that up. If we can find it, we'll put it in the chat. Um, Ron Leonard, you are one of the great uh, um, experts on renewable energy. And uh, of course, you know about Diablo. Uh, what, what do you got? 
Well, a couple of fun facts. If you look at Puerto Rico to start with, since you mentioned that, Puerto Rico uh, imports about $2 billion worth of fossil fuels yearly. And that basically is generational debt. Now, we do know that we can switch the entire grid in Puerto Rico. Their law is Act 17 to 100% renewable energy. But we could do that in a way that actually would give people an uplift in terms of their economic uh, livelihood. People in Puerto Rico maybe average $22,000 a year as a salary. We could probably double that easily just by creating new jobs in renewable energy. And that's the way we should be looking at this. Uh, the other side of it is uh, Harvey, you as a historian would relish the fact that if we don't look at history and understand uh, how history reflects our present life, we're going to repeat the mistakes of history. And one of the historical faux pas that we've, we've created, I put it in the chat under no excuse for stupid, is the Georgia nuclear power plant now forecast the top 30 billion. But unfortunately, I got that figure wrong. It's not 30 billion. It's actually 34 billion because I didn't count the 3.68 billion dollars the original contractor Westinghouse paid to the owners after going bankrupt. Uh, and the other little connection that we probably should make to this industry is the fact that it does affect human beings. There is a thing called tritium that generally does re re result in leakage from a lot of operating nuclear power plants. And that tritium leak is not a good thing for babies. It certainly is not a good thing for the environment. And it's certainly not a good thing for us to be messing around with. Thank you, I, I, I much appreciated, uh, my, uh, uh, Ron. Uh, Mike Hirsch, you have an announcement, and then Myla Reason. Yes, thanks, uh, Sluggo. Both of those links will work even if you don't live in California. So please click on those links. You can send a message to Governor Newsom, and we're also having people sign a petition to Governor Governor Newsom. Okay, good. Thank you for that, um, uh, uh, Myla Reason, uh, and and. Also remember, go to the Mothers for Peace site uh, for San Luis Obispo. They have a petition there. Uh, Myla Reason, and then um, go ahead, Myla. Myla, are you? Uh, yeah, unmuted? it just took a while for uh, Mike to allow me to unmute. So I'm unmuted, and um, I just want to let everybody know that <clears throat> I just posted a link in the uh, in the chat with a great background article that talks about how the senior resident inspector for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, who was uh, stationed at PG&E's decrepit Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant, warned us that the uh, plant was not engineered to withstand a probable quake or a significant ground motion. Now, Californians are warned on the regular to prepare for the big shakeup. We're told continuously that we have to be ready for the San Andreas, which is now uh, years overdue in delivering uh, a, a major earthquake. Um, and, uh, and Dr. Peck said that the plant is simply not engineered to withstand that kind of ground motion, that it could very likely trigger a major meltdown at Diablo Canyon. Those of us who live in Southern California, we uh, understand that we're about within about five hours 
uh, Southern California would uh, be delivered a, a radioactive plume that would contaminate with radioactivity all of Southern California. So it's just madness that we ignore uh, Michael Peck's warning. The doctor, Dr. Michael Peck said, said that PG&E should immediately shut Diablo Canyon and not be allowed to reopen until they could prove that the, that the reactors could in fact withstand that kind of ground motion. So it's just amazing. As you know, Harvey, Peck was uh, transferred. He was trumped, so to speak, by uh, bureaucrats in the Nuclear uh, Regulatory Commission who, uh, who unfortunately didn't, uh, didn't take this seriously. But if uh, just in case this uh, prestigious scientist was right, why not shut Diablo now? Why wait until 2024 or 2025? It's so risky and unnecessary. We could make up that energy. We don't need it. It's just madness not to shut Diablo now. And to uh, extend the license, it's just unbelievable. So anyway, um, thank you. Well, thank you for that. Um, and uh, again, uh, there are things we can do about this. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and look at the chat and get assign those petitions, which are linked uh, through PDA and also the Mothers for Peace. Um, uh, uh, we do, I do want to move on. Uh, Tim White in the uh, um, uh, chat section has reminded us that we were to talk this week about the Arizona ballot image bill. I think we were also blown away by the developments on uh, Roe v. Wade that we kind of skipped over that, and we will do it next week. Uh, Tim, do you want to make a quick mention? We are up at the 640 mode. If we can get another 10 minutes on the recording, that would be great. Steve and Mike, I'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, we can uh, do a quick uh, take on Ohio and then open it up for the uh, kibitz. Uh, Tim White, uh, are, there, are you there? Can we reschedule our discussion on the Arizona bill for another week? Tim White, do you want to comment? Yes, uh, thank you, Harvey. There are important issues here that were brought up last week on the bill. Uh, a lot of them have to do with the secrecy of the vote and the wording of the bill. There, there are some serious problems in the wording. Uh, we need to find a balance between the extreme full disclosure, the, the people calling for putting all the ballot images up uh, without protections for the traceability of some of those votes, uh, is a mistake. And that's what's being sabotaged uh, in the committee. We need to directly address both the transparency of public count and the protection of the privacy of individual votes. And that's what the bill uh, does not do. And what was brought up in a very lively discussion last week. So I would really appreciate if we could schedule a time to have those people on board again. Right, we will try, we will thank you for that. And I'm, I'm sorry, you know, um, uh, sometimes it's hard to walk and chew gum uh, at the same time, even though I can barely walk and I don't chew gum, but uh, we, will, we will do this next week. 
Um, Tim, if you'll uh, send me a separate email uh, reminding me and I'll get John Brakey back on board and we will, we will have this discussion about the Arizona bill next week. We actually had discussed doing a separate Zoom, but I believe that John had some conversations with some of the critics of the bill. And, uh, but let's, let's definitely set aside some time next week uh, to talk about the Arizona bill. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, Steve, Thanks, Lago. Uh, Steve, thank you. Uh, Steve Caruso, uh, are we joined by Rachel Coyle? She is not here. Okay, um, so I just said Let's sign off. This has been, and then we'll go and have a, an open kibitz that will not be uh, recorded. This, this has been the 94th Green Grassroots Election Protection Coalition Zoom. We have had an astonishing discussion on the attack on Roe v. Wade and on personal rights and freedoms in this country. Also on climate change, nuclear power, uh, the Arizona bill uh, on election protection and so on. Uh, next week, we will be back again, 5 p.m. Eastern time, uh, same place, same link. Uh, we will have another hour on Roe v. Wade and uh, on um, the attack on individual rights, this time with um, uh, the, uh, the president of the National Organization for Women, uh, Christian Nunez, and many others. So thank you for being with us this week. Thank you, Steve Caruso and Mike Hirsch uh, for engineering. Uh, and we, are, we still have 64 people with us. We're gonna continue now. Uh, you can listen to this on the radio Thursday evening uh, on, the, on the Progressive Radio Network, prn.live. And uh, we'll sign off now on the recording. Thank you so much. And uh, we will post the link uh, 